Good morning, everybody, and welcome to uh, part one of a two-part series. I don't know if you can really call um, a two-part series a series, but um, that's, um, that's what we're going to do for the next couple of weeks. Um, I, I basically want to kind of answer the question, why, why do we baptize people? Why did we just celebrate that? Um, it goes back 2,000 years uh, to something that Jesus said, that Jesus gave us um, a mission. He gave us a plan to, to go after. Um, and so that's what we're going to talk about for the next couple weeks. And if you're, um, if you're new to Grace Point, or maybe you're new to faith, or maybe you're not really sure what you believe, you're, you're not a Jesus follower, and you're here, we're so glad that you're here. But today and next week, you might feel a little bit like you went to somebody's house and they're talking about family business, and you're just eating your potatoes, and you're like, what in the world are they talking about, okay? You might feel a little bit like that for the next couple weeks. This is kind of a family conversation um, that we're going to start today, and we're going to end with um, next week. So you just get to sit there and watch us squirm a little bit, all right? This is for those who call themselves a follower of Jesus. And here's where I want to start. I want to pose a question that we don't um, maybe think about a lot, Um, If you're north of 40 or 45, you probably think about this a little bit more than those of you who have a full head of hair and a working metabolism. Um, You don't think about it as much um, because you have a working metabolism. Um, But but here's, it's it's a question we're not going to spend a lot of time on, but it just kind of sets us up for uh, for where I want to go. Here's the question. What would you like for your last words to be? What would you like your last words to be? Now, this question assumes a few things. Number one, it assumes that you know you're going to die, right? Like you know it's coming. You can see it's coming. It's not an accident. It's not something sudden. Um, the second thing it assumes is that there are the, the, the people that you love are around you to hear what you have to say, or at least somebody is around to hear what you have to say. And then thirdly, it assumes everybody knows your last few minutes are coming. What would you say? to your spouse, to your kids, to your parents, to your friends, to your family, to those who have gathered around you in those last few moments on earth. If there was ever a time (laughs) to stress what's most important to you, that would probably be it, right? So I think you should think about that. I don't think you should think about it for too long, but I think you should think about it. It's it's not um, It's not the most uplifting question, but it's a clarifying question. It's a clarifying question because it shows you what's most important to me. You're probably not going to talk about the weather. You're probably not going to talk about sports. You're probably not going to talk about that outfit you just bought. You're not going to talk about the latest episode of The Bachelor or what you think of masks and vaccines. You're probably not going to talk about that. You're probably going to talk about what you love. You're going to talk to the people you love. You're going to talk about the people that you love. You're going to talk about maybe what you want them to know, what you want them to think when you're gone. You're going to talk about what's most important to you. So I did a little research this week and um, found some famous last words from people throughout history. Now, I did not do a deep dive into these. So all of you fact checkers can just go ahead and get out your notes and you can fact check it later, right? I'm not saying this is exactly what they said. I'm just saying this is what the internet said that they said, okay? And some of them are funny, some of them are poignant, some of them are just um, flat out dumb. But here we, here we go. 
84, Benjamin Franklin died at 84. His daughter told him to change positions in bed so he could breathe easier, and his last words were, a dying man can do nothing easy. His last words, right? Leonardo da Vinci's last words, for those of you who are artists, I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. Yeah. So the Mona Lisa, he didn't think it was that good. All of you artists, you should be encouraged at this moment. Drummer, Buddy Rich died after surgery in 1987 as he was being prepped for surgery. A nurse asked him, is there anything you can't take? Rich replied, yeah, country music. I like him. I like him. <laughs> Arthur Conan Doyle, um, the author of the Sherlock Holmes series, he died at 71 in his garden. He turned to his wife and said, you are wonderful, and clutched his heart and died. Yeah. In his typical stiff upper lip fashion, Winston Churchill's last words were, I'm bored with it all. <laughs> and he died. Poet Emily Dickinson's last words were, I must go in, for the fog is rising. Sounds like a poet to me. Before he was hung, some of you know this, the Revolutionary War spy Nathan Hale said, I only regret that I have but one life to lose for my country. I love this one. Richard B. Mellon and his brother Andrew played a game of tag for seven decades. And on his deathbed, Richard touched his brother's shoulder and said, last tag, and he died. <laughs> oh, I love it. Brothers are always brothers until their deathbed. Probably one of my favorites. When a priest said, I'm sure you want to talk to me, playwright Wilson Misner replied, why should I talk to you? I've just been talking to your boss. Right? Now, what we say and our last moments on earth communicates something. Communicates something about our beliefs, about our priorities, about our relationships. So what would you like your last words to be? And it shouldn't surprise us when we come um, to the last words, at least some of the last words recorded from Jesus on earth, that we catch a glimpse of his heart, right? The cross, the empty tomb is in the rearview mirror. He'd accomplished what he came to accomplish. He's getting ready to ascend to heaven, to the right hand of the Father. He's got his disciples. He's got the people that he's poured his life into over the last three years standing around him. And he says to them, guys, here's what I want you to do. Go. Go. Go do everything I told you to do. Go do what I showed you. Go do what I taught you. We know it as the Great Commission, right? And Matthew records it this way. In Matthew chapter 28, many of you have heard this before. We're going to hear it again. Then Jesus came to them, talking about the disciples, and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, say this word with me, go. Go, this little Greek word, poor uomahi. How can it have that many syllables in Greek and only one in English, right? Go, to depart, to travel. It's the idea of as you go. This is what I want you to do, which is interesting. It's interesting to me because when, when, when we think about this compared to the American model for church, we think of church more like come, right? Come to church, 
Come to the building. Come to worship. Come and find Jesus. Well, let's do whatever we can to get people to come. And we build buildings and we create programs and we invite people to come. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. It's part of what it means to be the church. There is a church gathered aspect to this. But the church gathered aspect is directly related to the poor Uomahi part. You can't separate the two. It's the same. What are we supposed to do when we go? Here's the second part. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. We've done that a few times over the last couple weeks. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus says, I've been given all authority. In other words, I can do whatever I want. I can say whatever I want. In heaven and on earth, it's all been me. Here's what I want you to do. I'm actually giving you a task. Go. Go make disciples. Teach them everything I've taught you. And I want you to identify them publicly with me by baptizing them. I want you to identify them publicly with the church, the big C church. And I'm going to be with you the whole time. I'm not going to leave you. I'll be with you to the very end of the, of the age. These are Jesus's last words. And so for the next couple of weeks, um, we're going to focus on the words, but on the implication of the words. Um, one of the, the biggest um, growth areas from my vantage point for, for us as a church isn't so much figuring out how to get people to come and find Jesus at church as much as it is for us to learn to go and be, to go and make disciples. Because because getting people to come to church is great, but our worship of Jesus in here is directly related to our ability to accomplish his mission out there. Really, Really what we're talking about throughout this series in church language is called its missions. It's missions, right? That's what we're going to emphasize over the next couple of weeks. And if you, can, um, if you can tolerate my honesty for a moment, um, I, I just want to tell you what I thought about missions when I was growing up, because some of you are already thinking it, okay? When I heard about Mission Sunday or missions emphasis, here's what I thought. Number one, um, either somebody from our church had gone on a short-term trip and they were coming back to talk about it and show us a lot of pictures, and tell us everything, all the projects they did. Or number two, um, it was the one Sunday night service of the year, because we weren't going to let them come on Sunday morning. It was Sunday night service, that the missionary from Zimbabwe showed up and showed us a lot of pictures on a slideshow, and we all left feeling guilty that we have indoor plumbing, right? That's kind of what I thought of missions when I was growing up. And, and, And I will fully admit that's a little bit of a caricature, of the American church, but I also wonder if that's what the majority of American Christians think of when they think of missions. It's something that you got to go, you know, get in a van, get in a plane. You got to, you got to go do, Jesus told us to go make disciples. So let's get in a plane and go to Africa and do that. Let's get in a van and drive down to Texas and, and, and do that. We got to go somewhere to make disciples. And that's part of it. It's absolutely part of it. But there's also a, you got to go to Jerusalem first. You got to go to Judea and Samaria next. And then 
you go to the ends of the earth. So I want to be careful here, but I, I just think we need to make a distinction. It might be a little bit painful, but if you'll stick with me, I think we might find this helpful. And we've talked about this before, so it's a little bit of a reminder. But there, there, there are difference between two very similar words, but because of the culture that we're in, I think we just need to talk about this. And the two, the two terms are Christian and disciple. Christian and disciple, they're essentially the same thing. I mean, if you look in the dictionary definition, they're probably going to be somewhat synonymous. Um, a, a disciple is a Christian. I don't know that I would necessarily say that every Christian is a disciple. Again, in our culture, the way that we use this word, the way that it's, it's used, the connotation of these two words in our culture are, have come to mean two completely different things, especially as it relates to the going part of making disciples. A Christian, um, someone who believes certain things, right? It's, it's, a, it's a mental assent to beliefs. Um, they behave a certain way. Some people believe that certain Christians, I mean, all Christians vote a certain way. That's not true. There, there's this idea that, you know, maybe they'll go on a missions trip. They'll take 10 to 15 days off of work. They'll raise some money and they'll go serve people somewhere in another place, another culture, um, an, another, another country. And, and I, I want you to hear, like, that's honorable. I think that's a good thing. It's a part of what we want to do. I think it's a part of the discipleship process for us as a church. If it's done right, like missions trips shouldn't be Christian vacations. They, they should be, we're going to partner with organizations and people. And that's, that's our philosophy. We partner with a few organizations and we go really deep and really long with them because we want to build those relationships and go back to the same place over and over and over again. So that's, that's kind of the mentality of a Christian. A disciple, on the other hand, isn't someone who goes on a trip every now and then as much as it is someone who views themselves as an everyday missionary. It's an everyday missionary. They might go on mission trips, you know, in, in between um, the, 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 the things that they do, but in between those trips, when they're at home, when they're at work, when they're in their neighborhood, they think of themselves as someone who's sent by Jesus. They take the words of Matthew 28 seriously. I'm a disciple, and this is what a disciple does. Missions isn't something that a so much something a disciple does is who they are. It's a part of their identity. A disciple is always going on missions trips because a disciple sees themselves as someone sent by Jesus to take his message into the world as they go into it. And just so we're clear, as a follower of Jesus, you have been called to this. As a follower of Jesus, this is part of the calling on your life. You're invited to be a disciple that makes a disciple, whether you knew that when you decided to follow Jesus or not. Like, this is the mindset. This is the call. This is the way of thinking. We are to go, not just overseas, but into our own city, into our own place of employment, to our own neighborhood, into our own sphere of, of influence. And I, it's probably been 50 or 60 years, but somewhere we've lost that mentality in the American church. And, and I don't know why. I've got some ideas. But somewhere we've lost the sight of our personal responsibility to go make disciples. Most people think that the making the disciples, that's for the professionals. That's the pastors. Isn't that what we pay Tim to do? Isn't that what the priest does? Isn't, isn't that what, you know, the, the, the professionals, it's, it's their job. That's the church's business. But if you look at Matthew 28, 
Jesus didn't stand in front of professionals and say, hey, go start an organization. Go get organized. Go plan some trips to Rome and Spain and, and Eastern Europe. No, he looked at individuals. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Bartholomew. These were, these were fishermen. These were former tax collectors. These were craftsmen, just normal, everyday people. And he said, I want you to go and, and, and make it your personal responsibility, your personal mission to tell other people about me to the point that they put their trust in me like you've put your trust in me. That, that they believe and that they, 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 they in turn share that with other people who share it with other people who share it with other people and generation after generation after generation and after generation. And here we are. 2,000 years. Halfway around the world. And we are disciples today because the first generation of disciples decided to take Matthew 28 seriously. And now it's our turn. It's our turn. The call to us is the same as the call to them. And, and, and here's, here's where you start to get a little uncomfortable because you start to think, okay, um, Tim's telling me I need to do what he does. No, that's not. Let me just give you a little bit of a snapshot into my life, okay? It is, it's very possible. And I'll, I'm just going to confess here. It's very possible for me to spend 40, 50, sometimes 60 hours a week doing church work and never involve myself in any kind of disciple making because I'm busy doing church work. I'm busy doing church stuff. That happens more than I care to admit. I can go a whole week and be so consumed with church stuff, get to the end of the week, and Jesus says, okay, Tim, other than preaching a sermon, did you personally involve yourself in that? And, and I want to go, I was busy, Lord. I mean, I was building your church. I had, I had stuff to do. I, I don't have time to make disciples. I'm running a church, right? Without ever meaning to. And I don't, I don't intentionally do it, but I can lose sight of this. I can get distracted. I can get busy. I can lose focus. And my personal responsibility to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus, we say it every single week. And I can't always say that every week I'm doing that. So I'm right there with you. I, I know that this is difficult. I mean, when you think about it, what we're trying to do is nearly impossible, especially in our culture. I don't know if you ever thought about it like this, but, but what we're trying to do is to help people believe something they don't believe. And, and, and help them believe something so much that they change their lifestyle values and their priorities in order to, to give their life to a Jewish carpenter slash rabbi who lived 2,000 years ago, who died and came back from the dead. And they should put their faith in him for their eternal destiny. Who wants to sign up for that? Right? Like, like they should change the way they think about their marriage and their parenting and their finances and how they use their time, what they do on Sundays. They should rearrange all of that. And then they should be so committed to it that they help other people commit themselves to that same Jewish carpenter. It's no wonder we struggle with this. Like this is the, the reason most of us don't think of ourselves as everyday missionaries is because we know how hard it is. We know how hard it is. It, some of you 
Um, you're familiar with Willow Creek Community Church. If you're not, uh, Willow Creek has been a very influential church in, in America for decades. They've had, some, they've had some issues over the last few years, but every church has their issues, but because of their influence, their issues are magnified. Um, but, but back in the 90s, Harvard Business School invited their senior pastor, who at the time was Bill Hybels, to give a presentation about their church. Harvard was so impressed with the growth and the impact that they were having, they wanted to, they wanted to learn from their church. So, so Bill Hybels gives this presentation on the mission and the story of Willow Creek to Harvard Business School. When he's done, the professor of the class stood up and asked the class, okay, based on what you've heard so far, what do you think about the mission of this church? And after a moment of silence, one of the students, again, this is Harvard Business School, so the, the best and brightest minds in academia, that one of the students responds, as I see it, this church is trying to turn atheists into missionaries. And then they added, that's one heck of a challenge. So, even, even somebody outside of faith, somebody outside of the church can look at what our mission is, can look at what we're trying to do and think, whew, good luck with that. That's really, really hard. So yeah, what we're trying to do is very difficult. In fact, let's just say it. What we're trying to do is impossible without the very Spirit of God. If the Holy Spirit is not in it, it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter how you go about the, the, this making disciples. Your best effort, my best effort, without the Spirit of God won't work. Our best effort as a church without the Spirit will not work. So what we're trying to do, it's impossible without the Spirit. And because of that, the temptation will always be to let the difficulty of it take us off to the left or take us off to the right or to focus on the things that we can measure or to focus on the things that we can you know, get our hands around, right? And so every now and then, I just got to come up here and I got to remind us, the entire reason that we exist as a church is to do what Jesus told us to do 2,000 years ago. Go make disciples. And it's not, he did not say that to an organization. He said it to people. He said it to individual people who believed that he was, in fact, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And come on, isn't that the kind of church you want to be a part of? Like, don't, don't, wouldn't you rather be a part of a, ch a church that follows the Spirit of God into difficult, uneasy, uncomfortable, God, if you don't come through here kind of situations? Wouldn't you rather be a, kind of, a part of a kind of church like that than just another church on the corner doing church? So I, think, I think you would. I certainly want to be a part of a church like that. And, and I'll tell you how we're doing as a church, right? We're doing as well as you're doing. We are doing as well as you are doing. I give you statistics and numbers and tell you some stories, but when it comes down to it, when, when, when it comes to making disciples, we are doing as well as you are doing. In, in other words, the mission of our church rises and falls on your willingness and my willingness to personally embrace the mission Jesus gave us. And to the degree it's your mission, to the degree it's my mission, it's our mission. 
We can print it on every piece of literature. We can say it every Sunday, put it all over the website. But if you don't own it, if I don't own it, we don't own it. We're just kind of doing church. And sure, a lot of good things are happening, but are we making disciples like Jesus told us to make disciples? If you don't own the mission of our church, if I don't own it, then we don't own it. I don't care how much money or talent or people we have, we'll end up doing church instead of being the church. And I do not want to be a part of a church that just does church. And yeah, every now and then, somebody will accidentally become a disciple. But that's because God is a God of grace. And if he can use a donkey, he can use people who are off mission. And it all comes down. It all comes down to this question, whether you view yourself as a missionary or not. Do you view yourself as somebody who's sent by God to the world around you? Do you view yourself as somebody who goes, who travels, who pour you omahis? Do you view yourself as an everyday missionary? Do you view the task Jesus gave to his disciples as your task? Are you personally involving yourself in leading anybody else to Jesus? Or are we just kind of satisfied just being a Christian? Just kind of believe in the right things, behave in the right way, doing church? You view yourself as an everyday missionary. So what, what, what do you do with that, right? Got two things. Two things real quick for us to think about when it comes um, to making disciples. Number one, next week, we talked about this. You heard a little bit earlier, but next week we have a special guest coming to Grace Point. His name is Dr. Todd Arend. Um, he's with an organization called uh, Missions Revolution. Great guy, great communicator, and he's going to help us wrestle with this question. What can I do? What can you do to involve yourself in Jesus's mission as an everyday missionary? And I don't want you to miss this. Okay, I don't want you to miss this. He's going to be at both of our Sunday morning services. Those are going to be exact same as they are. And then he's going to do two sessions in the afternoon. And here's what I want to say about the afternoon session. Okay, as a church, we don't do a lot of extra stuff. Okay, uh, our, our bread and butter is weekend services and small groups and getting people involved in service. Those are, those are like our, the, the things that we want to get the majority of our time and energy into. And so because of that, whenever we do something extra, Whenever we do something different like this, because we don't do a lot of it, people go, well, I don't need to do that because that's not a part of the things that we normally do. I actually want to change your thinking on that. The reason we don't do a lot of extra things is because when we do, we want you to take them seriously. We want you to view them as something that's part of what we're trying to do. I want you, I want me to think as an everyday missionary. Actually, scratch that. Jesus wants us to think like an everyday missionary. And next week is just going to be one of those times where we get to focus for a day on what that looks like. It's an opportunity to help us wrestle with that and, and come up with some answer. And yes, I already checked Chiefs games at noon. Okay? I already checked. Record it and watch it later. I had to record the Oklahoma-Texas game yesterday, and if you know me, you know that was a sacrifice that I made. 
okay? My phone's blowing up while I'm doing a funeral. I know something's going on, but I have no idea, okay? So you can record the Chiefs game next week. You can put off your afternoon nap a little bit longer, okay? Because if we're, if we're going to view ourselves as everyday missionaries, if we're going to do everything we can to stay on target as a church, I want this to be an all-skate, okay? It's just the, if it's just the staff, if it's just the board, if it's just a few core people, it's not really our mission. It's not our mission. I want us to make this our mission. So I hope you come and join us for that. You can register, again, Church Center app right now or anytime this week. We have something for the kids because we want, the ki- our, we want our kids' ministry. People, kids are going through that to think about this, to wrestle with this from a very young age and, and have a, 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 a good view, a biblical view of mission. So I just, I want to say, let's make this a priority and see what Jesus does with it, all right? Second thing, the second thing I'd like you to think about in relation to all this is, um, okay, I've heard Matthew 28 my entire life. I know that's what we're supposed to do, but how? Like, do I have to go to school for four years to figure that out? Do I have to, to go to missionary training to figure that out? How, how, do I, how do I be an everyday missionary? Do you have a process? What's the process? What's the plan? Like, how do I, how do, I do that? And, and, and if you don't have a process, if you don't have a plan, would you like to learn one? Would you like to know this is just, just one idea? And listen, if you already have a plan, keep working it. Keep doing it. We're going to cheer you on. We're going to champion you. We're going to pray for you. We're going to learn from you because we need to learn. I need to learn better how to do this. But if you don't have a plan, I want to invite you to come and learn how you can go and make. Okay? Um, Pastor Josh talked about this a couple weeks ago, but he's going to start um, some discipleship, discipleship group training starting tomorrow. And if you'd like to learn just a simple, sustainable way to make and multiply disciples, if you're even slightly curious what that might look like for you, again, you can sign up for D-group training in the app or on your connection card before you leave today. We're starting that tomorrow night, um, right here, 6.30 at Grace Point. It'll run for four weeks um, because it's, it's, a, it's a process that we want to take you through. We've had a lot of people go through this. A lot of people are actually doing this right now. It doesn't get a lot of airtime. We don't talk about this a lot publicly, but it is one of the most fruitful things we're doing as a church right now. It's one of the most fruitful things. And I'd love for some of you to take the opportunity to take four weeks for an hour, hour and a half and figure out what it might look like for you to start making disciples. So those are two opportunities that are coming just in, the, just in the next couple days, in the next few weeks, that we can wrestle with this, that we can be challenged with this and see what, what God does with it. So here's, here's how I want to close. I want you to, to engage your imagination for a minute, okay? Um, I, want to, I want you to imagine that you decided to take the Great Commission personally. That, that you decided you weren't content with just showing up to church and, and being a Christian, you want to be a disciple, okay? Two, three, four years from now, you show up at church and you look across the aisle at somebody you personally involved yourself with, 
somebody that you spent time with, somebody that you prayed for, somebody that you opened scripture with and you taught them all the things that you know. You were instrumental in them finding and following Jesus. And you understand it was the spirit who did the work, but you were the flesh and blood person that God used to teach them everything that Jesus has taught you. How do you feel in that moment? What's going on inside? Is it like, nah, it's impossible. Your God's too small if you think it's impossible. Told you this before. I was a 13, 14-year-old kid who lied to my parents every time I had a public presentation at school because I was terrified of public speaking. Look what I do now. (laughs) That is God at work. If you think it's impossible, your God's too small. And I want you to experience that. Imagine you're getting, that individual's getting baptized, right? They're going public with their faith. Part of that is because you took the time to figure out a plan for how to disciple people and God used that in your life to invest in them. And now you're the one getting to baptize them. You're the one up here baptizing them. How would you feel in that moment? I want that for you. I want you to experience that. I mean, imagine the privilege of being able to get up a little earlier every Friday morning, giving up an hour and a half, two hours every Tuesday night, sitting down with two or three other people over coffee, over dinner, talking about what you're learning from God's word, talking about what he's teaching you, how that's changing the way you live your life. And I know, I know you're busy. We're all busy. But what are you busy with that's going to matter in 100 years? What are you busy with right now that's going to matter 100 years from now? I I just want you to experience this. I want you to experience the spirit-led, disciple-making, risk-taking, going that Jesus talked about, that Jesus asked of us 2,000 years ago. But for that to happen, we have to view ourselves correctly. And you're a missionary You've been sent. I know you haven't been trained. I know you're a mom. I know you're a banker. I know you're a teacher. I know you're you're a professional. I know you own your own business. I know. But you have been sent into this world to be an everyday missionary. And if you do this, if I do this, we'll accomplish the mission that Jesus gave us. And if we don't, it won't. It, it, it really is that simple. So I want this. Jesus said, go and make disciples. Let's just figure out how to do that. And then go and do it. Let's figure out how to do it. And let's go and do it. Through the power of the Spirit at work in us. I think we want to be a part of the kind of church that we want to cultivate. So let's be Let's be that kind of church. Let's be those kind of people. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for the spirit um, that, man, some of us are encouraged today, some of us are challenged today, and some of us are somewhere in between. God, thank you for the men and women, the, the, the thousands upon thousands upon thousands of men and women who took, took your call, 
seriously for the last thousands and thousands of years to go and make. And, and because of them, we're here today. We know about grace. We know about forgiveness. We know about eternity, that, 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 that there, there can be a, a deep-seated confidence in who we are because of what you have done. And God, there are so many people throughout history who have done that. There's people that, that come to, to my mind right now who did that with me. God, we just want to do what we can in our generation to continue to take your mission. You said you would build the church. We're going we're gonna to rely on you to build your church. And we'll go make disciples. And we won't get those two mixed up. So would you show us? Would you help us with this? Would you challenge us where we need to be challenged? Would you teach us? Would you lead us into all truth where we need that? And then, God, would you just give us the courage to go and do it, to obey, to not simply be hearers of your word and feel a little guilty, but to walk out of this place and figure out how to do it for your glory, for your kingdom, and for the benefit of others. We ask this, we pray this, in the name of the one who makes it possible, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hope to see you next week. Have a great week.